Thanks for joining us for the Sermon of the Week. You can find out more information about Legacy Church online at LegacyFamily.tv. So how are we all doing? Awesome. You know, for the past couple of weeks now, uh, Pastor Brett's been doing a series on being a vessel of honor. And it's been so good. I got to be here two weeks ago. Last week I was up there with the kids, so I haven't heard that one yet, but I heard it was really awesome. And uh, I'm, it's been such a good series. So uh, this morning we're going we're gonna to continue with that. And today is actually part three. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to do a little recap from the past couple of weeks. So if you weren't here, you're going to get caught up. So, man, that's lucky, isn't it? So actually at this time, Carrie's going to come on up. And she's going to do a little demonstration for us on the pottery. Yeah, y'all give it up for Carrie. She's going to come up and get muddy here for a second. You know, when you, when you start making pottery, and we've already seen this uh, for the past couple of weeks now, but when you start off, you start off with a lump of clay. And you're going to see her get a lump of clay here in just a minute or so. Um, but with a lump of clay, I was thinking about that. Uh, there's really nothing unique to a lump of clay. You know, it's just kind of a lump, and it's there. It's, it's literally just a lump. And I was thinking about this yesterday morning, and I can't think of a more unexciting word than lump. I mean, like, to me, there is literally nothing special about something that you're calling a lump. It's literally just, it's there, it's a lump. But the magic starts to happen when you take the lump and you put it into the hands of the potter. That's when things start to happen. That's when things start to change. That's when, that's when the magic happens. And uh, once the clay is on the wheel, which, which she's going to show you here in just a minute. I'm trying to get out of the way so you all over here can see, too. But once you get the clay on the wheel, the first thing they're gonna, the potter starts to do is to try to pull us in and try to get us centered. That's the first thing. Well, there, and there's water involved, too. And I, I'm not going to hit everything Pastor Brett hit on, but I'm going to hit the main points here. But you have to kind of get them centered. And, you know, before we have a life-changing encounter with Jesus, uh, our lives tend to be all over the place. Before you have this really life-changing moment where you, where you give your life to Jesus, it's, life can feel like you're getting pulled so many different directions. But when we submit ourselves to God, when we say, God, I, I've been trying this on my own, I've been messing this up, it hasn't been working right. When we say, God, I, I want you to get involved, I want you to start molding me and shaping me, I want you to get involved in my life, he starts to draw us in, he starts to get us centered. When we're off center and wobbly, he starts to fix that. This is so fun to watch this. I've done this, I've done this once, and this is so much harder than it looks. Like you, just, you see him on the videos and it just makes these beautiful sculpted things, and then you do it, and it looks like a lump after you mess with it, and it flings off the, flings off the wheel, so it's amazing watching someone who actually knows what they're doing. But basically, God, when we submit ourselves to God, he starts to form us and mold us and shape us into, who he, into what he called us to be. And we can fight that. We can actually fight that. We can make the decision that, God, even though you're trying to mold me and shape me, I'm going to fight that, and I'm going to do my own thing. And we can fight that by doing things our way instead of his way. We can fight what he's wanting to do. But that never works out for us. That never works out for us when we do that. Um, I'm going to hit a couple of scriptures that Pastor Brett already hit on. But uh, in Isaiah 45 and verse 9, it says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? You know, right now, Carrie's starting to work that clay. She's getting it wet, so it's a little more moldable. Uh, but imagine how crazy it would be if that clay lump right there started talking to her and saying, hey, you're doing this wrong. Let me tell you how to do this. You're just, you know, you're messing me up. I don't want you doing this anymore. Let me do this on my own. How crazy would that be if it started doing that? And basically, that's exactly what that scripture says, is when we start to argue with God and try to do things our own way, it's as crazy as a lump of clay starting to argue with the potter and trying to tell it what it wants to have happen instead of allowing the potter to shape it and mold it and make it into what it's supposed to be. That's just cool. I love watching that. So 
Basically, when we do that, um, it comes across the same as when your four-year-old walks up to you and tries to tell you what to do. You know, basically, it's kind of the same thing. When the lump, when the lump of clay starts to argue with the potter, it's like a little kid saying, "Hey, I'm going to tell you what to do now because I know more than you know." And you're just sitting here thinking, "Yeah, there's a whipping in your future." So, anyways, so some, sometimes, sometimes the best thing we can do is just be a lump and allow God to mold us and shape us. Sometimes that is the best thing we can do is just submit and say, God. You know, I, I know I've, I've tried to do this on my own. It hasn't worked out. I've tried to shape myself and mold myself, and we can see the mess I've made of it. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to be a lump and say, here I am. Do what you want to do with me. Sometimes that's the best mindset we can have is just be totally submissive to God and recognize the fact that I can't do this on my own. I've tried. It's not working out. God, I need you right now, and I'm just going to trust you that you love me enough to have my best interest in mind. So when I'm on the wheel, I'm not going to fight against you. Just take me whatever direction you want me to go, and I'm going to do it. You know, that's, that's, that's the mindset that God can work with. That's the mindset where God can form you and shape you into who he's called you to be. You know, I think about, I think about when, I went to, uh, when I went to Bible college down in Oklahoma. Um, towards the end of that time period, my plan was to always come back here because this, this was home. This was my home church, and this is where I always wanted to be. And that, that was my plan. That's, this is where I was coming. And I even talked to the pastor about it at the time, and he was planning to fly me up here and have me try out, basically, because they, they had somebody... Um, they needed a position for at the time, and the whole time I was talking to them, um, I just knew it wasn't right. Like, it was crazy, because this had been my plan for two years to come back up here, and it wasn't right. I, that was me, that was basically like the lump of clay trying to tell God, hey, this is what I'm planning to do, so this is what I'm going to do. So I recognized it wasn't right, and literally like two days after that, I called the pastor back and was like, hey, I just want you to know, this is where my, I want to come back here, this is where my heart's at, but I feel like God's having me do something different first. And I started to actually pray about it and talk to God about it. You know, it's crazy that, you know, we need to do that every now and then. But I started to talk to God about it, and that's when God told me I need to go to Arkansas for a bit. And, you know, you have to be a totally submissive lump of clay to go to Arkansas when God tells you to go to Arkansas. You know, that's just, that's just not somewhere that you choose to go on your own. Um, actually, Leslie and some other friends came and visited me and Pastor Rick out there one time, and and they called it a name that I'm not going to repeat from the stage here, but it was not a pleasant name of what they thought about Arkansas. So that's not somewhere you just, you just say, man, I, when I dream about the places in this country I want to go to, Arkansas is usually down at the bottom of the list. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the people there. The people are amazing. Um, but it's, there's like wood pulp mills right there in the, in the town, so it literally smells when you drive into town. So just kind of get that mental picture. But basically, I, I went down there, and man, God just helped me grow and develop, and he molded me and shaped me while I was there. And, and I wouldn't give up that time I was there for anything now. And yet at the time, it looked like the exact opposite of anything I wanted to do. But God, God knew more than I did. He knew, he knew how he needed to shape me. He knew, he knew some things that needed to develop. And that's why he pulled me out there. This is all just recap from a couple weeks ago with Pastor Brett. But the next step, and she's, she's working on getting there, um, but the next step is that the potter starts to open the clay up, starts to work the clay and starts to open the clay up. You know, God begins to mold us and shape us so that we can carry his presence, so we can carry the Holy Spirit, uh, so we can carry the gifts and the talents that he gives us to the world around us. That's the next thing they start to do. And regardless of what age you are, regardless of what phase of life you're in, you know, God still has good plans for you. You need to know that. I think a lot of people, we get to a certain age or a certain point, and we think, well, if God hasn't used me by now, he's probably not going to. Or, you know, I've been around for a long time, and I'm just kind of coasting until I go to heaven one day. Well, that's not the right mindset. The mindset is that as long as you're here, as long as you're breathing, God still wants to use you. He still has a plan, still has a purpose for you. There's people for you to reach. There's, world, there's a world out there for you to change, and you being here can do that. You being here and being the kind of vessel that God wants you to be can do that. 
in, um, in Jeremiah 29, 11, like I said, this is still recap. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I read that yesterday, and the first thought that came in my head is that I'm so glad that God loves us enough that he doesn't leave us a lump. He loves us enough that he doesn't want us to go through life as a lump, just sitting there not doing anything. He created every one of us for a purpose. He created every one of us to be used. Um, he created every one of us to be a vessel of honor that he can use to pour into and pour out of and change the world around us. That's something he's called every one of us to do. Uh, he has plans to give us a future and a hope. You know, you may, you may feel like a useless lump right now, and I guarantee you there's times when we all feel like that. There have been times in my life where I feel like a useless lump, like why am I even here? What am I even doing? I just feel like nothing's happening like I want it to happen. Um, but if you'll stay on the wheel, if you'll stay submitted to the potter, um, he's going he's gonna to continue to form you into someone that he can use to do big things. He's going to continue to form you into someone that he can use to change the world around you. He's going to form you into a vessel of honor that he can use to do great things if you'll just stay on the wheel. In a Psalm 139, this is one of my favorite scriptures. I, I share this with youth all the time because it's such a powerful scripture. Um, but in verse 13, it says, You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. So God was very involved in making you who you are. He was very involved in the process. Just like Carrie has her hands all in that clay right now, God was very involved in the process of forming you. Even in your mama's womb, while you were in your mama's womb, you didn't know who your mom was, you didn't know anything at that point, and yet God knew you, and he was a part of forming you together and joining you together. So I love thinking about the fact that God's been involved in my life since way back then, since before I knew who he was, since before I knew who I was. God was already involved in forming, forming me together and making me who I am. And then it goes on in verse 14. It says, I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. And I'll just go and say this real quick. I have a degree in sports medicine, and I can tell you that we are made mysteriously complex. Like if you look at the human body and look at the muscles and the bones and how they connect and the, and the chemicals in our body and how everything has to be completely perfect, we are mysteriously complex. Like we couldn't sit down and try to build something that works as well as we do, and yet God did. He was, that's, that's why we're so amazing. It says everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. So God vision, God's vision for our life isn't to stay a lump. It's not to be a lump forever. His vision is for us to be something that's marvelously breathtaking, just like that scripture. When God looks at you, you may feel like you're a lump right now, but when God looks at you, he sees a person who is marvelously breathtaking. He sees something that's going to change the world if we'll just submit ourselves to the potter and allow him to form us and shape us. That's what's in you. That's what God sees in you. And when, he, when you're on the potter's wheel, that's what he's working out of you is he's working something out of you that's marvelously breathtaking. I love that about God. And then in verse 15, he said, you even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully, shaping me from nothing to something. So God took us from nothing to something. He took us from something useless to something that's gonna accomplish great things. Uh, he took us from a lump to something that's marvelously breathtaking. That's what God did for us. That's what he's continuing to do in us and work in us. I, I love that about God, man. He just loves us so much. Then in verse 16, it says, you saw who you created me to be before I became me. I love how that says that. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you're thinking of me. Think about that. There's literally not a moment that goes by that God's not thinking about you. 
You think, made me think, well, how can he do that? You know, how can he, there's so many people on the earth, how can he possibly be thinking about me every moment? He's God, that's, part, that's within his skill set to do that. You're always on his mind, he's always thinking about you. There's literally not a moment that goes by that he's not thinking about you. And he, when he's thinking about you, he's not thinking about that lump laying there on the wheel. No, he's thinking about something marvelously breathtaking. That's what he's thinking about when he thinks about you. And it goes on to say, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. So he's always with us. He's always with us. He's always forming us on the wheel. He's shaping us when we'll allow him to. You know, sometimes, like I said, we can reject that. We can say, God, I want to do things my way, and it's like us climbing off the wheel and doing our own thing. But as long as we stay on the wheel, he's always shaping us. He's always smoothing out the rough edges. He's always making us smooth because I don't know about you guys, there have been some times in my life I've had some rough edges. And sometimes it's taken a long time for him to, him to access those and start to wear, work those things out and wear those things down. Um, but that's what he's always doing when we stay submitted to him. That's why it's so important that we don't have this mindset of, God, I want to do it my way. Instead, say, God, I want to do it your way. And as you do that, he can continue to mold us and shape us into something amazing. Because every single one of us in here, he has great things ahead of us. He has, he has people for you to influence, lives for you to change. And if, you don't, and if nobody else, you're here to be an influence on your family. You know, you'd be amazed the kind of influence you can be on your family when you stay on that wheel and allow God to continue to form you and shape you. And you can be amazed how much of an influence you can have on those around you just by the way that you live, by the way that you treat people, by the way that you represent God to the people around you. You know, I always think about my dad, and most of this has not been in my notes yet, so we still have to really get to my notes here in a few minutes. But I think about my dad a lot when I think about that because, you know, for years and years and years, he was somebody that I was praying for. He didn't come to church, and, man, he was somebody I really wanted to be here in church with me. So I prayed for him for years and years and years. And for a long time there, it really seemed like nothing was happening. It seemed like absolutely nothing was happening. And I would, I would talk to God about it. And one thing that God showed me one time is that at that point in my life when I, I was starting to pray for him, but I was still pretty rough myself. Like he had a temper and, and I kind of had a bit of a temper too. And there were times where we'd blow up at each other and it wasn't like a real pleasant moment to be around us when that would happen. And something that God kind of dealt with me about is, keep in mind he's working off those rough edges, is he started saying, well, instead of me trying to work to change him, why don't you change? Instead of, instead of you focusing on praying that he changes all these things, why don't you work on some things that I'm working on you about? And I started to work on those things myself. You know, I started to recognize where I had these rough edges, and I started to change myself and change how I interacted with him. And as I changed, I started to realize that he was changing. As I would change and I would start to live differently and I'd show him love, even when I didn't feel like it, even when I had those moments where I wanted to snap back and defend myself or do whatever, um, I just decided to show love to him anyways. And as I did that, I started to see him change. And over the course of the years, who he was before he passed last year was very, very different than who he was when I was in high school. You know, he just had a totally different mindset. And that, that came from prayer, obviously, but it also came from allowing God to work those rough edges off of me. And then that caused him to be influenced by that too. So we can have touch, such a tremendous influence on our family if we'll allow God to continue to work on us and mold us and shape us into something beautiful because then other people around us can see that and it affects them too. And it's so amazing how he does that. God wants to do that in our lives. So he, as, as he continues to, to, to work on our rough edges, as Carrie's continuing to open that bowl up, um, once this bowl is, diff, is, is, is done with the shaping process, which she's going to keep working on that, then there's a period of time where the potter actually takes the pot off the wheels, off the wheel, off the wheel and allows it to dry. And it, it sits on, basically sits on a counter or sits out in the open somewhere and dries for a while. 
and this is all refresher. This is Pastor Brett talked about this last week, I believe, but it gets to a place where it's called leather hard. Now, when it's leather hard, it's harder than it is right now, um, but it's also not as hard as it needs to be. So it's kind of in an in-between state right there. Um, it's a necessary step to let it dry and get leather hard before the first firing, which is something Pastor Brett talked about last week too. And basically what the first firing does uh, is it makes the pot more durable. It makes it more durable than it is if you were to try to use it right now. That first firing makes it more durable. And last week, Pastor Brett compared the first firing um, to the Holy Spirit. He compared the first firing to having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I'm assuming that based on his notes. If I'm wrong on that, I apologize. But he gave me his notes and told me that's what I talked about. So, but he compared that first firing to having an encounter with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes us more durable. The Holy Spirit will make us more durable and more able to face the life that's ahead of us, the life that we have to go through every single day. And when I think about the Holy Spirit, I can't help but think about Peter. I always think about Peter when I think about the Holy Spirit. And, and just to give you a little background on Peter, you know, Jesus had groups of people that followed him everywhere he went. Like he had this big mass of people that went with him all the time. And then within that group of people, he had a smaller group of people. He had the 12 disciples. So they're the 12 disciples that we read about all the time. And then within the 12 disciples, he had three people that he was very close to, closer than anybody else. And Peter was one of those three people. So Peter was someone who was very close to Jesus for about three years or so, he was with Jesus almost every single day. There were some times they separated to do ministry, but other than that, they were together almost every single day for three years. They weren't just doing ministry together, they were friends. They talked, they had this relationship, they were together with each other. And yet on the night when Jesus was, was arrested and put on trial leading up to the day where he was crucified, you know, Peter, who is somebody who was very close to Jesus, who was a good friend of Jesus, Jesus was, was inside the building being put on trial by the Pharisees, and Peter's outside in the courtyard with all the other people kind of listening to what happened. And three different times that night, people approached Peter and said, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his friends? And each time, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. So this, this Peter was not very durable at this point. Peter was not very strong at this point, not very durable to, to the point where Jesus, he had been with him for three years. He had seen these miracles and signs and wonders happen. He'd been close to him. He'd been a friend. And yet when he was, when he was put on trial himself, when he, was, when he was faced with the question of, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Three different times, he denied that he even knew who he was. You know, he just was not very durable at this point in time. But there's a change that happens in Peter's life. You know, Jesus, Jesus eventually is crucified and he dies and he raised up, raises up again on the third day. And then he hangs out with the disciple for 40 days and then he goes back up to heaven and he tells the disciples, hey, I want you to stick around. There's something that you need. There's power that you need before you go out and continue to do what I, what I want you to do. And we see what happens in Acts 2 and verse 3. And it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So basically, they're all in this room. Peter and some of the other disciples are in this room, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit manifests as tongues of fire. It comes and rests on them, or some translations say engulfs them, and they begin to speak in tongues. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when this happens, or the change that happens in Peter, to where he, when he encounters this Holy Spirit fire, that he goes from someone who's very not durable, someone who basically denies even knowing Jesus, to the moment that he encounters this fire, he becomes very durable to the point where he stands up in front of literally thousands of people and preaches about Jesus so effectively that that day 3,000 people give their, lives to, give their lives to Jesus. You know, there was a change that basically when he encountered that fire, when he encountered the Holy Spirit, he went from being someone who denied he even knew Jesus to just right over here just a couple months later, here he is standing declaring Jesus boldly in front of thousands of people. 
So that Holy, the Holy Spirit made him more durable. Just like the first firing makes that pot more durable, it makes us more durable too. And that's awesome how he does that. Um, if, so if you missed the last couple of weeks, that catches you up. You're basically right. That's, that's roughly where Pastor Britt ended, ended last week. So in the, in the, in the pottery-making process, there's still two more steps um, that Pastor Britt hasn't covered yet. There's the glazing and then the second or final firing. Those are the two steps he hasn't covered yet. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, if you look at these pots here, they're all very different, aren't they? All these different. Some of you can see them. There's pots here. There's pots over here. Um, what, I, what, what makes these pots really special and unique and different, and the cups too and the mugs, is they've got this shiny stuff on them. And that shiny stuff on them is basically the glazing. And basically, that's, that's what that is. They have to put a glazing on there, then they bake it, and that's what makes this look the way that it does. And thank you to Miss Cynthia for bringing all these up here, by the way. These are all, a lot of these are hers up here, so that's really awesome she did that. But basically, uh, I, was, I was thinking yesterday morning about how we tie in glazing to what we're talking about here. And the first question I had was, what, is, what does glazing really do? And you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a pottery maker, so I didn't know. So I got on Wikipedia. You know, Wikipedia is amazing for stuff like that. And I did a search for, what does glazing do? And, you know, you have to sift past the donuts and that kind of thing. And then when you actually get the pottery, um, it actually, there were two main things that, it, that basically said that the glazing did. The first thing that it does is it seals the pot. And I, I was like, it seals the pot. So what, what does that mean exactly? I thought that was, basically, if you used a pot that wasn't sealed, with glazing, it's very porous. It's very porous. That means it doesn't hold things that well. It also means it's still more fragile than it needs to be. And the glazing kind of seals that and helps it hold what it's designed to hold better. So when the potter glazes a pot, basically they're sealing up those pores so that it holds liquid better and so that it's also stain resistant too. That's the other thing that glazing does is it helps make the pottery stain resistant. And when we stay submitted to God, uh, when we give ourselves to the potter's hand, like that pot right there in Carrie's hands right now, he seals us. And uh, I'm going to read a scripture. This was so good when I read this yesterday. It's either a song of songs or song of Solomon, depending on what translation you have. Um, but in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as my prisoner of love. I love that. We're just the prisoner of God's love. My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave, all-consuming as the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. So we've been sealed by God's amazing love. That's the seal that he put on us. That, that's what seals us up is his amazing love. So that means when thoughts come that, well, nobody cares about me. That means when thoughts come that, well, we're worthless and we're never going to do anything with our lives. When thoughts come that, man, we've, had, we've experienced this hurt in our past and we're just never going to get over that. That's always going to define our lives. When those kind of thoughts come, they come up against that glaze of God's love and they just slide right on off. And when we understand God's love and we understand how loved we are, basically that, that love will protect us like a glaze to where it can't penetrate, it can't stain us, it can't affect us because we've been glazed by God's love. So how, how loved are we? How loved are we as a believer? How loved are we as a pot that's on the, on the, in the potter's hand on the wheel there? In uh, 1 John 4, 9, it says, The light of God's love shine within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. Remember, he was part of forming us in, his, in the mama's womb. He loved us way back then before we even knew who he was. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing, sacrificial offering to take away our sins. 
So he loved us before we loved him. I, I love that so much about him. Before I knew who he was, before I understood what he had done for me, before I knew about the life that he had for me, before I even, but when I was still rejecting him and what he was wanting to do in my life, man, he already loved me right there. He already loved me and had a plan and a purpose for me. And what I love about God is that when he loves us, it's not just something he tells us. Like I hang around middle school kids all the time and, and I hear them all the time. They tell everyone they love them, but at the same time, then you hear them talking behind their back and you know, it's just like, well, that's not what love really looks like when you're doing that kind of stuff. But basically when God says he loves us, he doesn't just say it, he backs it up too. He actually backs up what he does and that's exactly what he did there. He told us he loved us, but then he showed us how much he loved us when he sent Jesus to come and die and pay the price for our sins. It wasn't something where he just said he loved us. He actually put some action behind it. He actually proved it to us because he wanted us to see and know how much he loved us. When we were lost in our sins, separated from him, he sent Jesus to pay a price that we couldn't pay. And to me, it's so amazing that he did that for us, that he loved us enough to do that. All because he didn't want, all because he loves us, all because he didn't want to suffer the punishment for our sins, he did that for us. All because he wanted the kind of relationship with us where he could be our father and we could be his children and have that close, intimate relationship. We've been sealed by that amazing love. Every one of us here, when we've submitted to God, he's sealed us with his love. Um, even Paul knew how important it was to fully understand that love. In Ephesians 3, he's actually praying a really powerful prayer uh, for the Christians who are part of the church in Ephesus there. And uh, the prayer he was praying for them is for us too. But in Ephesians 3.18, it says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. So basically what he's saying is there that as, as God's people, we're God's people, I'm believing we're God's people, part of what we need to do is understand all the dimensions of God's love. It's important for us to have an understanding of his love and not just know about it, not just, not just read about it in the book, not just hear someone like me or Pastor Brett or, or somebody else up here talk about it. We actually need to experience it firsthand. It's something we need to know experientially. And we see that in verse 19. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So that glaze seals the pot and makes it complete. It's sealed, and God's love will seal us and make us complete. When we understand and experience God's love firsthand, when it's real to us, when we've experienced it, we're made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. That's what it says right there in that scripture we just read. We become sealed against the tax of the enemy. And I think it's awesome that he's done that for us. So when the, en when the enemy says that we're worthless, God's love says, hey, I'm forming you into something marvelously breathtaking. That's what, that's what, that's what God will say when, that's what his love will say. When the enemy says that nobody cares about you, um, God's love will say, well, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price for you, and he would have done it if it was just you. He loves you that much. You know, that's not worthless. That's, that's, that's invaluable. They're, they're, you can't, can't put a price on that. When the enemy says that you're always going to be poor, God's love will say, no, my heart is for you to be prosperous and blessed every single day of your life. That's God's will. That's God's heart, and that's what his love will tell us. Uh, when the enemy says, well, everybody in your family gets cancer, so you will too, God's love says that by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed, so I'm going to walk in divine health, and that's not going to touch my body. So basically, every time the enemy tries to attack us, when we're sealed with God's love, God's love has an answer for every attack the enemy tries to throw at us. Because when someone says something, or they say, or, or you hear the enemy trying to, trying to get you down and, and, and beat you up on that, you just need to take a second and think, okay, well, if God really loves me, what would he want for me? 
And if that's opposite of what the enemy is telling you, then you know you go with what God says. And you can stand on that and be bold about that because his love has sealed us and those attacks of the enemy just need to slide right off of us. Don't even hang on to them. Don't entertain thoughts about it. Just go ahead and immediately say, well, this is what God's, God's love has done for me, so I'm not going to grab onto that. You know, I am going to come free from this. I'm not going to be submitted to any attack the enemy throws at me. So on top of sealing the, sealing the pot, which is awesome and cool that it does that, um, the glaze also really makes the pot unique. And that, that's the other kind of thing I came up with. And if you look at all these different pots and cups around here, you know, they are different shapes and they're all kinds of unique sizes. And I love that about them. But what really I think sets them apart is the different patterns and pictures that are on them. I think that's what really makes them unique. Like, you know, we got the cool scene here with the trees and, the, and the, I guess it's like a sun, sunset maybe, like a dusky side. I see, I see stars there. And I see all these different little ones and I love the, it looks to me like an elk jumping over here an elk or a deer or something like that. But I love the, I love the glaze on there. I love the pictures on there because that's what really sets them apart and makes them unique. Every one of these looks very different because of that. Even, even the pots that are shaped similar, like we have two over there that are shaped very similar, they look very different because of the glaze that's on those pots. They look different. Every one of them is very unique and very special, and every one of them was created for a, a, a specific purpose. And I think it's so cool that they're like that. And I, God puts the same thought and care into creating us too. Uh, he makes every one of us very special and unique and, and created for a specific purpose. Yeah, I think it's so amazing that we don't all look the same and we're not all created to care when he made us. He made us the way that we are for a reason. And I know some of us might blame God for that, um, but he made, it, he made us the way we are for a reason, and that's a good thing. There, there's, he, there's gifts and talents that he puts in us that make us unique, but also equip us to do the things that he's called us to do as individuals. That's part of what he's done for us. Um, in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says, Every believer has received grace gifts. I love how it says that in the Passion Translation. It says, every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. For example, if you have a speaking gift, speak as though God were speaking his words through you. If you have the gift of serving, do it passionately with the strength God gives you, so that in everything, God alone will be glorified through Jesus Christ. So basically, he gave us every one of, every, every one of us gifts that, that make us uniquely gifted to accomplish our purpose, our reason for being here, our reason for being on the earth right now. He's given every one of us gifts that uniquely equip us to do those things he's called us to do. I love that. I love, I love knowing uh, that he made each one of us different. And that means that we don't have to worry about comparing ourselves to other people because God made us uniquely different. You know, I don't have to try to be Pastor Brett. I don't have to try to be Patrick or Tim or Tracy or Becky or, or, any, or Rosemary or anybody. I don't have to try to be anybody else. I just have to try to be God's best version of me. That's who, that's who I need to be. Uh, I, don't have to, I don't have to try to live my life constantly comparing myself to everyone else. And I think that's great because I think a lot of us do that. I think a lot of us do that. I think a lot of us wish we could be more that or more this. And, and we spend our whole lives just so frustrated that, man, I just, I just can't be like them. I can't do that. And it's cool that God made us unique for a reason, and we don't have to do that. Now, I'm not saying we don't look at people and learn from them. Absolutely. If you see someone who has qualities that you need in your life, man, we can look at them, we can learn them, learn from them, but recognize the fact that God created each one of us different. And we need to learn to embrace and find out the gifts he put in us and grow and develop those things so we can most effectively do what he's called us to do. You know, that's what we need to do as believers is identify what we have. If somebody else is stronger in a particular area, man, learn from them in that area, but don't live your entire life comparing yourself to them because that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be, I don't, all I have to be is the best version of Jeff that I can be. 
the best the version of Jeff that God created me to be. I need to listen to him, see what gifts he put in me, grow and develop those gifts. And man, that's, that's enough to do that. That's enough to be who God's called you to be. You don't have to be someone else. Hopefully that takes some pressure off a few of you guys because we don't have to try to be someone else. We just have to be who God wants us to be. He made each of us gifted in certain areas so that when we come together, that's so cool he does this. And the reason he makes us all different is because, you know, the Bible compares us to the body of Christ. And because we're the body of Christ, each one of us has a different function and a different purpose. And when we, be, when we come together as the body of Christ, and each one of us does our purpose and does our function with Jesus at the head, that's when we're effective. That's when we can do big things, when each one of us are, are working in the areas that we're gifted in and using our gifts and talents that God puts in us and using those effectively and growing those gifts and we all come together. And then we can do big things because then we're working together in unity as the body of Christ. And man, we can change the world just like that when we come together and use the gifts that God's given us individually to do that. So we need to grow and develop those gifts. Uh, just like the glaze on those pots makes each one of them beautiful in their own way, God's glaze on you makes you beautiful too. And that's amazing that he's done that. He makes, he makes the call on your life and the purpose on your life a thing of beauty. That's part of what God does for each one of us. And I love how that's looking. That's so cool. I'm having a hard time talking because I just want to sit there and watch that the whole time. So that's such a cool pot. But so it's, it's those gifts and talents that make you unique. And if they've been lying dormant in you, it's time to wake them up. If you have gifts and talents that God's put in you and he's put them in every single one of us and you're not using them or you don't know what they are, it's time to wake those gifts up and start using them. It's time to start allowing yourself to be used by God to be on the wheel to where God can mold you and to shape you into exactly what he wants you to be. It's time to reignite that fire again. You know, if you don't have the same fire on the inside of you that you've had at some point in your life, it's time to reignite that fire. Um, there was a time, uh, you know, Timothy, there's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Timothy was like, was like Paul's protege in a lot of ways, but there was a time in, in Timothy's life uh, where Timothy was losing his focus. Um, he was getting distracted by some things that people were saying, and even as he was pastoring a large multi-site church in the, in the area he was in, he was starting to get distracted by some things. And Paul writes him a letter, and he encourages him, hey, it's time to get back on track. It's time to get focused again. And I love what he says in 2 Timothy 1.6. He says, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into a flame and rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid my hands on you. So basically he's saying, hey, you've got this gift on you. God imparted it to you when I laid hands on you. He said, you need to get back to that again. He said, you've gotten distracted. You've, gotten, you've lost your focus, but it's time that you remember what God's called you to do. It's time to remember the gifts that God put in you, and it's time to rekindle that fire and step out and start doing those things again. Um, and, but, and how do we do that? How do we rekindle a fire? Basically, we need to start using the gifts again the things that God's called you to do, the things that God's put in you, we have to actually start using them, start stepping out and growing and developing those things. And when you do that, it's like having a pot that's old and dusty, which none of these are. These are all sparkly and pretty. Um, but if you had a pot that was old and dusty, it's like dusting that thing off again, and that glaze just starts to sparkle again. That's what happens when we start using God's gifts on the inside of us that we've ignored for whatever, for whatever reason, just life in general. When we start to focus on that again, it starts to sparkle and shine, and, and man, it becomes effective again. We can start being unique and being the people God called us to be. You know, who in the world would have thought you'd get so much from glaze? I didn't. I, I, told, I told Cody and Patrick this this morning. When I, I sat down to start preparing for this actually yesterday morning, I didn't have a clue what I was going to talk about. I was like, God, how in the world do you talk about glaze as part of a service here? And then he just started to open this stuff up to me, and it's been so good. So I just love that God does that. Even when I don't have a clue where we're going, God knows. Thank goodness he had a plan, and he told me what it was. So, so we've, got the, we've got the glaze on this pot. So what do we do after we got the glaze on there? Well, that's the second firing, or some people call it the final firing. You know, that means it's going back in the fire again. You know, I, I was thinking about this yesterday, and, 
And uh, just like with Glaze, I didn't have a clue what really happened in the second firing. I knew it, I knew it happened, but I didn't know what was really unique about it. And I did a, so I did a search on what the second firing does. And I found myself on a ceramics website, and I thought this was kind of cool yesterday. But it says the second firing heats the clay and the glaze to the point that they're mature. That's actually the wording that was used on the pottery website. Is it actually heats them to the point where they're mature. And I imagine that if I was a pot, you know, I just imagine if I was the pot on the wheel right there being shaped and formed, if I'd already had time to do the leather dry thing, and if, already, if I'd already been to the first firing, I think, well, I've made it. You know, I've, I've been through the fire. I don't have to go through that again. And yet here we are having to face a second fire all over again, have to go right, put right back in the heat again. I, I'd be a little overwhelmed with that. I'd be like, I don't want to do that. There, I've already been through the fire once. I don't want to have to do that again. You know, but that's part of it is we have to go through the fire again, even as a believer, even as someone who God's been working on, even as someone, we can be someone who's following God step by step by step. And there will still be times where we have to go through the fire in life. There'll be times where we have to go through some things that may not necessarily be comfortable for our flesh. Because I'd imagine if a pot had feelings, which thankfully they don't, but if a pot had feelings, I would say that when you go in that fire like that, that'd probably be very uncomfortable when you're in there and it being baked and hardened like, like that is. But as a believer, there's things we have to go through that aren't necessarily comfortable for us to go through, and yet they're necessary, and yet they'll help us mature, just like I said right there. If we'll stay focused on and submitted to God in the middle of those fires, they can be a part of our maturing process if we'll stay focused on him. In a James 1, in verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I think back to when James first wrote this letter to people. You know, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard the scripture many, many times. But I think about when James very first wrote this letter, I bet a lot of people probably stopped right there. Like here, James, is he's saying, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. They're probably thinking, James must have been drinking when he wrote this. Because when I think about going through trials, I'm not thinking, like, pure joy is not my reaction. I'm like, oh, yay, there's more trials coming. Let's get excited about that. And yet here, James was saying, hey, I consider it pure joy. Now that's like, I'm not having to force it. There's a pure joy behind this thing. Like, I, I'm excited when trials come. You know, not, a lot of us, when we think about trials, we don't think about pure joy. We think about pure dread. Like, okay, I'm, you know, get out of bed. I see the trials facing me. I'm going to go right back, get in bed, and God wake me up when this is over. Like, you know, I don't want to have to face this anymore. That's what most of us want to do when we're facing trials. And yet here James is, James had something figured out. James knew something that a lot of people didn't know. And there was a reason that he faced many kinds of trials with pure joy. There was a reason he was able to write that. He wasn't just trying to, to, to encourage people with something he wasn't doing. He was trying to encourage some people with something that he'd experienced firsthand. And in verse 3, it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's so good right there. He faced trials with pure joy because he knew that if he stayed focused on God throughout the trial, the result was going to be that he was going to be mature and complete and not lacking anything. You know, that, that, put, that, that puts trials in a whole new light. You know, when trials come up in your path, when you're walking through the file, walking through the fire, you know, it, it kind of changes your whole perspective when you realize, hey, if, if I stay submitted to God, if I stay focused on him, even while this fire is going on, even while this trial is going on, if I stay focused on God, I know I'm coming through the other side of this thing more mature and more complete than I am right now. If I'll just stay focused on God, there, there's a maturing that happens. You know, when I think about that story, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, these are, those are three guys that literally had to go through a fire. And um, they, were, they were forced to go to a little, most of us know this story. Um, but if you haven't read the story in a long time, there were three guys, 
named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And basically, they, they served as officials under a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king of Babylon thousands of years ago. And um, King Nebuchadnezzar basically decided one day that, hey, I want to build a giant golden statue of myself. And uh, he basically builds this thing 90 foot tall and 9 feet wide. So he builds this gigantic golden statue of himself. And I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't alive these days because if you're obsessed enough with yourself to build a 90-foot statue of yourself, just imagine all the selfies he'd have on Instagram and Snapchat. I mean, he'd just be completely full. If he was that obsessed, if he wanted to sit, look out his window and see a 90-foot statue of himself, he'd be selfie all the time, and nobody wanted to be around him. So anyways, he was just a little bit full of himself. But anyways, he's, he's got this golden statue this giant golden statue out there, and, and basically he, he makes an order in the city, and he says, okay. He said, I'm going to start playing some music here in a little bit. He said, every single time the music starts playing, I want you guys to bow down and worship this statue. So he, did, he builds this gigantic statue of himself and says, this is what you're going to do. Literally every person around here in this big courtyard surrounding it, you're going to start worshiping this statue. And he says, if you don't do that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got this fiery furnace over here. I got this thing blazing hot right now. If you make the decision that I'm going to defy you and not worship this statue, I'm going to throw you in there. You're going to go into the fiery furnace. So basically he gives the order, and they start, the, and they start playing the music, and, and everybody starts. That would have been perfect if Cody started playing right then. That would have been amazing. But anyways, <laughs> he gives the order, and, and they start playing the music, and, and, uh, and everyone starts worshiping this big, gigantic statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And as they're, as they're worshiping, the, the officials are looking around, and they see these three guys who are basically just standing there. You know, everyone else is bowed down, everybody else is worshiping, and there's three guys standing there. And that's our three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're all standing up. And, and, and obviously, everyone rats them out and says, hey, there's these three guys. They're not doing what you told them to do. And King Nebuchadnezzar, is, is, he's upset. He's angry about it. He says, I want you to bring them to me. I want you to bring them to me. I want you to bring them right here in front of me because I need to have a conversation with them. So he basically talks to him, and he reminds him that he had made this order that if they didn't worship the statue, that he was going to kill him. He reminds him about that. And, and they say, well, you know, we serve God. We worship God. We can't worship anybody but God. That's just who we are. That's what we got to do. And, they, and he says, I'm going to give you guys one more chance. He said, we're going to do this thing one more time. We're going to play the music one more time, and you got one more chance to bow down and worship this statue. And they just, they, they can't do it. They're like, we serve God. We can't serve anybody else. We have to. We have to stand here because we can't worship that statue. And it says that King Nebuchadnezzar gets so furious that some translations actually says that his face distorts with rage. So if you've ever seen someone just really, really angry and you can see it on their face, it like twists their face up. That's how mad he was. It's actually twisting up his face and distorting his face with rage. And he says, okay. I said, if you, if you guys aren't going to listen to me, if you guys aren't going to do what I'm going to do, we're going to throw you in the fire. But first... I'm going to have my guys heat that thing up seven times hotter than it is right now. I'm going to have that thing so blazing hot that it just peels the skin right off of me. That's, that's what he was thinking. He just really wanted to make this awful for them. So he orders the fire to be heated up seven times hotter. And then he has his biggest, strongest guards basically come up and basically ties their hands and their feet. And they're still fully clothed, but he ties them up. And he has his guards basically pick them up and throw them into the fire. So here we're talking about going through fiery trials. They literally went through a fiery trial. They were literally thrown into a blazing hot fire. In fact, this fire is so hot that as, as the guards pick them up and throw them in there, the guards who did that actually dropped dead. Like the heat, the heat was so intense. Like I've heard it's hot to work in Volvo, but nobody's dropping dead in there, hopefully. But basically it was, it was so hot in there. It was so hot by this furnace as they were throwing people in there, they, they just dropped dead. They couldn't handle the heat. 
And yet here they were getting thrown in there. And the next part is so awesome. I want to read it. I just don't want to tell the story. I want to read it. In Daniel 3 and verse 24, it says, But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement. So he sees them. He knows they were thrown in the fire. And this is right after that. He jumped. He says he jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. And it says, Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. So here they were in the biggest trial of their life. They were literally thrown into a fiery furnace that was so hot that it threw the people, it, it killed the people that threw them in there. And here they are walking around, and God's right there with them. Every time I read that story, I get so excited because that tells me when we go through fiery trials, when we're faced with these hard times, even if it's a moment where you feel like we're alone, God's right there with us. And if we'll submit to him and acknowledge his presence there with us, he'll, be, he'll manifest himself there with us just like he did with them. Basically, he was in the middle of this fiery trial, and because he was there with them, they weren't hurt at all. Like this, it says they were walking around. Like they were just walking around, probably having a conversation with themselves, just the same as if the fiery trial wasn't happening. It literally did not affect them at all because they were right there with God and he was protecting them and keeping them safe. So much so that when eventually they get brought out of the fire, they don't even smell like smoke anymore. Like it's, there's no smoke at all. You know, I love doing campfires. I love, that's one of my favorite things to do on a nice, like cool evening like we've had the past few, past week or so. I love to get outside and just do a campfire. But one of the things about doing a campfire is that you have to take a bath afterwards, have to take a shower afterwards. Because you, you, you reek. You, you just smell like smoke. It gets in your clothes and your hair. It gets all over. And if you lay in bed, you're going to make your bed smell like that too. So you got to take a shower afterwards. And it's so cool that they came out of this thing after being in this blazing hot fire. And it says they, their, their clothes weren't burnt, their hair wasn't burnt, and they didn't even smell like smoke. I mean, it's just so amazing that they were going through this really hard time, and yet it literally had zero effect on them. And I love that because we can have the same thing in our lives when we're going through those fiery trials and we recognize that God's there with us. We can, even though it looks bad on the outside, even though people who are watching us and seeing it happen say, man, that may look bad, we can come through it with having zero negative effect on us when we recognize that God's there with us. When we're, t- when we're that submitted to him, that we, we know he's right there with us. But that's not the end of the story. And a lot of people stop right there with the story, but it gets even better from here. So basically the king, the king calls them out of the fire and they come stepping out and they all have a little praise God moment where the king basically says, hey, obviously your God's the real God. So anybody who talks bad about your God from now on, we're literally going to rip them, like rip their arms off and rips their legs off. Like obviously he wasn't a Christian king. So obviously he had some rough stuff on him. This didn't need to be worked out too. But that's basically what he said is, hey, if, we, if anybody from this point on talks bad about your God, I'm going to rip them apart. So that's a good guy to have on your side. But anyway. So I want, to, I want to jump past all that where they praised God and had this awesome moment, but down to verse 30. It says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So they got promoted. So because they stayed submitted to God, because they stayed focused to God, even through that fiery trial, on the other side of it, they got promoted. Yeah, there's a better job, better pay, better benefits. But even more than that, they were put into a position of even greater influence. They were put into a position where they had greater influence on the people in the kingdom, but also in a position of greater influence on King Nebuchadnezzar because he would never forget that. He'd never forget that moment with them and God in the fire like that. So they were given an increased influence into him. 
So I want to encourage you guys too, as, as we as we go through fiery trials, which does happen, that's part of the joy of being a, a living, breathing human being still walking on this earth, is that we're going to go through fiery trials. But if we're going to stay focused on God, if we stay focused and submitted to him, don't lose hope, don't give up, don't despair, but stay focused on him. We can face those trials with complete, pure, total joy because we know that, hey, there's a, there's a promotion on the other side of this. We can do it knowing, hey, there's a maturing that's going to happen on the other side of this. Hey, when I get through this on the other side, I'm going to be more complete than I am right now. And it's all about our mindset. It's all about how we approach them because they're going to happen. But when we stay focused on God, we're going to come through that thing better off than we're than we started off. And that's part of what God wants to do this. That's what James had figured out. That's why James was able to say, I face trials with pure joy because I know that this may be tough for a minute, but I know when I get through this on the other side, it's going to be way better than it was before. You know, I think about, obviously I don't do it much anymore, but when I was in college, I was really big into weightlifting. I loved it. I would go several hours every day and just love doing that kind of thing. And it's also fun when you're in college because then you can eat, you know, 30,000 calories a day, but you're burning off because you're weightlifting all the time. It's when you stop that becomes an issue. Uh, but I can remember when I, when I was weightlifting, there were moments, especially when you were trying to get towards your max, you're really trying to push yourself and, where, and you know, see how much you can do. Uh, you, when you're in the middle of that, it's miserable. Like, it doesn't feel good when you're trying to max yourself out. It doesn't feel good when you're pushing your body as far as it could possibly go. It, there's nothing about that that's fun. But when you get on the other side of it and you recognize what it's done and then you get a day or two after that when your body stops being sore, then you start to say, man, I feel better than I did beforehand. And your body just grows and it gets better and stronger and, and you just continue to mature and, and, and get stronger in those areas. And it's the exact same way. When we face those fiery trials with joy, we can do them knowing that if I stay focused and faithful to God, I'm coming through this thing better off than I was before. And that's how you face trials with pure joy. And I just encourage you guys, um, as, as fiery trials do come up in the future, change your perspective. Instead of allowing yourself to get full of dread, like, oh, I can't believe I have to do this again. I can't believe I have to go through this again. I can't believe my kids did that again. You know, as you're facing these different fiery trials, take a moment to refocus and say, wait a second. If I trust God here, if I get him involved in this thing, if I recognize that he's right here with me while I'm going through this, Sure, it's going to be tough for a little bit, but I'm coming through this thing stronger, more mature, and better off than I was beforehand. It's all about mindset, all about how you approach it, all about how you handle those difficult times. God's going to be with you, and if you stay focused on him, there are better things on the other side of it. That's what God wants for us. So just to kind of kind of pull this together, you know, we talked about glazing and the second firing. Pastor Brett's going to be back next week. He's going to close this thing out with the kids turn people. It's going to be awesome. But just to, just to wrap this up, um, to pull the two things together, know that God created you for an amazing, unique, and very specific reason. Like he made you so beautiful and so perfect. He made you something that's marvelously breathtaking. That's what God sees when he sees you. He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your flaws. He doesn't see all the things that you wish were different about you. Um, and he looks at you and says, man, I'm so proud of what I, what I made in them. I'm so excited about the future that's ahead of them. I'm so excited about how they're going to change the world. That's what God sees when he sees you. Uh, he put, he puts gifts inside of every one of us that makes us beautifully qualified to do the things that he's called us to do. I love that he does that for every one of us. And on top of that, he's sealed you with his love. So you're sealed with his love. So every time an attack of the enemy comes, every time a thought comes that you know is not God, I encourage you to take a minute and say, wait a second, because God loves me, what would he say here? And then shift your thinking on that too. Don't allow those attacks from the enemy to sink in. Don't let them get in your thought life to where you can't sleep at night. Just immediately handle them with what God's word says about you because he loves you so much. And then as you're going through fiery trials, recognize that, hey, as I go through this, I'm coming through this thing better off than I started. Just approach those things with pure joy. 
approach it in such a way where people are confused about why you're handling things so well because they've seen you handle them before where they didn't go so well, but now they see you approaching them with joy. Let people see a difference in how you handle those fiery trials. So, man, that's so cool. I wish I could do that. Anyways, the, the first step in this, this amazing life that we're talking about today that we've been talking about for a few weeks now, we talk about every week here, is that God is basically for us to make the decision that I'm going to climb up on the potter's wheel. I'm going, to, I'm going to put myself in a position to where God can start to work me and mold me and shape me. You know, I've, I've already mentioned this, but God loves every one of us so much um, that he sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven of our sin so we didn't have to pay that price. He did it so that we could have a relationship with him here on the earth so he could talk to us and we could be father and son, but we could also be, be friends while we're here. He did all this amazing, he sent Jesus so we could have all that. He sent Jesus so that we could have a confidence and know that one day, many years from now, when our life is over, well, I can know that I'm going to heaven one day. I'm going to be with him forever. He did it. He sent Jesus so we could have confidence in all those things, all because he loved us so much. And when you accept that sacrifice that Jesus made and give your life to him, it's like you're climbing up on the potter's wheel and saying, God, it's all yours. You're climbing up there and saying, God, I've tried to do this thing on my own. It hasn't worked out. God, I've been trying to live my life and do things my way, and all I've done is make a huge mess. God, I'm ready for you to mold me and shape me. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to get your, for you to get your hands on my life and start making me who you created me to be. If you'd like, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. The reason I do this is I want you to look at, at your heart for just a moment. Be real honest with yourself about where you're at with God and, and where your relationship with him is at. If you've never done that, if, you, if you've never made the decision that Jesus, I want to I wanna accept the sacrifice you made for me. I want to start living my life for you. If you've never done that, if you'd raise your hand this morning, I want to pray with you. And you can leave here knowing that you're forgiven. You can leave here knowing that you have a relationship with Jesus. You can leave here knowing that you're going to heaven one day. So if you'd like to leave here knowing those things, if you're not sure now, but you'd like to be sure, if you'd raise your hand, I'd like to pray with you. And you can leave here with complete confidence in all those things right there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look around here and give you just a moment to raise your hand because this is so important. This is why we do everything we do here is to give you a chance to have these amazing encounters with Jesus. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? The Bible actually says every time someone makes that decision that they celebrate in heaven. So that means that the angels and, the, and all the people who have gone on before us, our loved ones, every time you make that decision, they start celebrating and throwing a party in heaven, which is the most amazing thing. I can't imagine how cool that is to be a part of that. So keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just a moment longer. Uh, maybe that's a decision you have made at some point. Maybe, maybe you've initiated that relationship with Jesus. You've accepted that sacrifice that he made, but you walked away from him. You were like that clay who looked at the potter and said, I'm tired of doing things your way. I want to do this my way instead. Uh, basically, you flopped off the wheel and made the decision. I'm going to, I think I know better than you do. You walked away from him. If you're in that situation or maybe you're in a situation where you've just been choosing to do some things that you know you're not supposed to be doing. There's some sin in your life and you recognize it's wrong, but you're ready to get that thing back on track again. You're ready to get back on the wheel again. God's such an amazing God. He, he tells us in 1 John 1, 9 that he loves us so much that, hey, when we come to him and say, God, I've messed up, I gotta repent, I gotta get things back on track again. When we do that, it says he forgives us and he washes away our sin. He washes us from the inside out. He does that for us. So if you're in here, you can say, I have accepted Jesus, but I've, I've got off the potter's wheel. I've, I've taken myself away from him, but I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to get back on that wheel again and allow God to start molding me and shaping me again. If you'd like to do that, like to make that commitment today, if you'd raise your hand, I'd like to pray with you on that too. I see some hands popping up already. Is, is there anybody else? I see more hands popping up. 
lots of hands popping up. And God gets excited about this too because he knows what's ahead. He knows the marvelously breathtaking future that's ahead of you when you just resubmit yourself to God and say, God, I'm going to do this thing your way again. Awesome. Well, out of respect to those who are praying, I'm going to ask that we all pray this together. And we're basically just going to pray exactly what the scripture said. We're going to resubmit ourselves to God and say, God, just work in me and mold me and shape me. I'm going to do things your way. So let's, let's uh, pray this out loud. And as I say these words, don't just say them because I'm saying them. Say them like you're talking to God because that's exactly what's happening here. So say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to pay the price for my sin. So right now, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you access to mold and shape me into who you created me to be. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for raising up again on that third day. And thank you for restoring me to where I should have been all along. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. You can keep up with fresh content, find out more about our upcoming events, and give to support Legacy Church all online at LegacyFamily.tv. From all of us here at Legacy Church, have a blessed week.